the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 40 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. He's back. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, back from a week in balmy, hot, muggy, but interestingly enough, not very rainy Orlando, Florida, where I've been the last week with my wife and children uh, visiting Mickey and friends at Walt Disney World. Uh, So if you're listening last week, you heard a rebroadcast of one of my earlier shows, I think maybe even from a couple of years ago, that's still relevant today. And um, but I'm back now live on the air. Um, It's been kind of an exciting time with my family. Uh, This morning, my daughters went to freshman orientation at their high school here in San Jose and I uh, can't wait to get home later on today and find out how that went. Probably I'll get a, uh, a very, very responsive answer like, it was okay. Okay. If you have teenage daughters or teenage sons, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, sometimes it's just fine. Okay. You know, th- and that's about it. No no details. They're They're not really into giving you details anymore at this age. But I'm back now. Uh, finally got a good night's sleep last night. Um, nothing like time shifting and suddenly going three hours forward, three hours back. Quite a bit of jet lag the first couple of days and even a little bit of jet lag yesterday since I couldn't really sleep the night before. But I'm pretty good today. It's good to be back here in San Jose. I'm looking forward to uh, moving forward here with... Uh, Many more things here in the South Bay, Uh, meeting with more people, probably doing one of my workshops again, if not in September, probably in the first part of October. So just stay tuned for that or visit my website at lawbob.com to check to see what might be upcoming. I don't have anything new up there just yet, but um, if you bookmark the page for my uh, workshops, you can check it every now and then or listen to the show. I'll be sure to let people know on the air when my next workshop or workshops is coming up. I'm going to follow my usual format today of questions and comments from around the state of California. And later on in the show, I may open up the show to callers who want to call in and actually ask questions. I feel in a pretty good mood today for answering some questions. Uh, When that segment comes, I'll let you know what the number is to call. Until then, 
Let me start with a question out of Los Angeles. And this is actually probably a fairly common situation, so you might want to listen carefully to this one. Person says, my grandmother has a living trust, left her house to my mother. There were not alternate beneficiaries for the house. There were residual beneficiaries, but not alternate beneficiaries to the specific gift of the house to my mother. My mother died in November of last year, and my grandmother died February of this year. Do I inherit the house? My aunt, who's the successor trustee of Grandma's Trust, is saying the residual beneficiaries get the house. I'm not 100% sure about it. Well, here's the answer to that question, and it depends on how Grandma granted the house to your mother. If it said, I, Jane Smith, leave my house at 123 Main Street to my daughter, Joanne Smith, or her descendants, then it would go to this this person. His name says he's Carl. It would go to Carl as the descendant of his mother who died, uh, who predeceased Grandma. But if it just said, I leave the house to my daughter, Joanne, period, hard stop, and then Joanne died, then that would be considered a lapse of the gift because the specific beneficiary was deceased and that house would pass to what they call the residual or residuary part of the trust. And if there's beneficiaries for the residue or residuary part of the trust, they would receive the gift of the house, which was a specific gift to the daughter, but apparently not a specific gift to the daughter or her descendants, which would be the grandson. So in a case like that, I think the aunt is correct if that's in fact If there is not magic language in the trust that said it passed to the daughter's descendants or issue, another term you'll sometimes see is issue, then it's not going to go to the grandson. It's going to go to the residual beneficiaries. That may not be what grandma intended. She may have intended that it go to her daughter with the thinking that, and then my daughter will pass it on to my grandson when she dies, but that's not what her trust said. And I'm sure if that's what grandma intended, she didn't expect her daughter to die before she did. I mean, I find that parents never expect a child to die before they do. But as I've known from the reality of my own family, extended family situation, I've lost cousins, first cousins, who have passed away before their parents. It does happen. And uh, and in this case, the person's probably not going to be able to get the house that was intended to go to his mother and eventually would have passed to him. Uh, It could be poor drafting on the part of the attorney who did grandma's trust. It could be that she was not explicit. It could be that she 
literally intended it just go to her daughter and then she do whatever she wants with it and not that it ultimately passed to the grandson. We'll never know because grandma's passed away and her trust was not explicit about where it wanted the trust or whether it wanted that uh, that property to go. And because there's a general distribution provision, that's what came into play and that's what would govern in this case. Now, here's one out of Mountain View, California, my backyard here. Says, my grandparents are both deceased and my uncle had a will made in 2018, not notifying his two siblings, one of them being my mother, until the death of my grandfather in March of 2022. Basically, everything is going to my uncle, including the house my mom has lived in for the last 25 plus years. He's seeking 50% of the house in the next five years. He's not paid for the house with his own money. He's using the will as leverage to take everything. So the question is, can I contest grandpa's will? Well, really, the question is, when grandpa made this will in 2018, first of all, he didn't have to notify his children that he was doing that. The question is, did the uncle exercise undue influence on the grandfather to induce him to make a will leaving everything to him, even though he had a daughter living in the property for many, many years? Um, did grandpa actually have the legal capacity to make a will in 2018? In other words, was he mentally competent? These are all questions to be raised and you can contest the will once you find out about this, but you have to be able to prove that there was something, some reason to throw that will out as being invalid. And that's a hard uphill climb for anybody, I can tell you. I don't do litigation myself, but I know many of my colleagues that do, and they say that a will contest can be very hard. We're coming up on the first break of our show today. When I return... After the break, there'll be more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll talk with you on the other side. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back to the show. So um, I'm going to go with some more questions and comments from around the state of California. And, and now we go to the East Bay in Berkeley with. Um, OK, so here we go. The OK. If you already own some of an estate before a dispute in probate is the entire estate included in the court. Okay. The entire estate was left to one person after death. We'll just say everything was left to John. Someone else in the family wants one of the properties because previously their name was listed to receive this one property years before death. That's important. Years before death, the owner changed their will. Now that person feels that they're still owed the, the home, presumably from a previous 
will that by definition would have been revoked by a new will. So they challenged this in probate as elderly abuse and said, okay, now they're talking about changing a trust. Okay, I think they mean that the person redid their trust. Okay, they said that she was influenced to change the trust, but but the problem is the person was present when the trust was written, the person that's complaining now. So what's at risk? Is it the entire trust estate or is it just that property? Uh, and that's the question is if most of the estate has already been given to the person written in the trust. Well, if someone's challenging the trust, that raises the question, are they actually uh, trying to have the current trust thrown out and if that's the case if they were successful which i doubt would be the case here if they were successful in throwing out the redone trust everything would revert to the previous trust that was in effect which might very well say okay you get this property but maybe everything else still goes to um to John, uh, the the other person. So the question, the, the answer to the question is, it may very well be that only the property in question is being challenged by this person. And if that's the case, that would be the only property that the court is considering. But you have to look at the earlier trust to see who were the beneficiaries of that earlier trust. Because if you're trying to throw out the most recent trust, and you're successful, that will reinstate the previous trust, which might have a very, very different distribution plan than the most recent version of the trust. Gets really complicated really fast here, as I'm sure you can probably appreciate. Okay. Is a will that was done by mother with dementia when a doctor clearly stated she was not able to do so? That's literally the question. Let's rephrase the question. If mother had dementia when she made a will and a doctor stated that she was not able to, to do so because of the dementia, what does that mean? It says, I found out two years ago my brother and his wife took my mother to get a will done, which... Prior to that will, my brother and wife were manipulating my mom. She doesn't remember signing. The doctor stated that my mom was diagnosed over a span of three to five years with cognitive decline, is not capable to sign any documents knowingly. Does this make the will invalid? If you can prove that when the will was made, that mom was according to her doctor, incapable of knowingly signing any document because of cognitive decline and her dementia, then that would make the will invalid. I would wonder what attorney would have actually drawn up a will like that if there was any question about mom's mental capabilities. I mean, I have had a couple of times in my career where I've had to get a a letter from an attorney, excuse me, from a doctor 
treating doctor or someone, verifying that they were cognitively capable of understanding what they were doing and they could, in fact, sign documents. I've done that sometimes as a preventative measure to, um, because there's a problem with family members and my client says, let's get a letter from my doctor saying that I'm okay so that they can't really come back later and challenge that I was mentally incompetent in some way. Um, and I've had at least one time where I requested that before doing planning for someone just because they told me uh, that I do have some memory issues now and then, but uh, I do know what I want. And, uh, and I wanted to be assured that the person wasn't actually suffering under a diagnosis of cognitive impairment that would mean that they really couldn't execute any estate planning documents. Okay. My parents intend to leave me their house. I have other siblings. My parents' only significant asset is their house. My parents don't want to cut my siblings out of their estate plan, but aren't planning on giving my other siblings anything of value that comes close to their house. Can one attorney prepare estate plans for both myself and my parents? The short answer is yes, as long as there is um, there are disclosures um, and, and consent by the the parents and by this one child that one attorney do the planning for both of them. But um, I think the better answer might be it should be a different attorney uh, doing the planning for this child than the one who did the planning for the parents. And that would be to avoid any appearance of undue influence or or that there was somehow collusion in some way, that the attorney was uh, induced in some way to do the planning for the parents for the benefit of the one child uh, and was induced by getting to prepare the estate plan for the child as well, thereby making more money, blah, 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 blah. I think it might be better to have separate attorneys involved so that the parents are just dealing with the attorney on their own and the child that's receiving their house was not involved with that attorney in any way, shape, or form. That would be probably the better approach. Not absolutely necessary, but I think it would be the better approach and what I might do in a situation like that. Okay, I think we're coming up on the end of this second segment of the show. When we return, I will be taking calls. The number is 800-516-1220, 800-516-1220. You can call over the commercial break if you want to stay on the line to ask me a question when we come back on the air for the third segment today. That's 800-516-1220. This is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio. We'll continue the show after this mid-show break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. 
Hi, welcome back. Before the break, I extended an invitation for you to call into the show today if you had any question you'd like to have answered on the air. It's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. You can call. Um, my sound engineer is standing by to take your call if you'd like to ask me a question on the air. No question pending over the break. I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California, from La Mirada, California. It says, my sister is the current named executor on my will. She is old and infirm and wants to be released from the obligation. I want my 37-year-old son to be the executor and my 34-year-old son to be an alternate should my older son become unable to function. I have a revocable living trust, but I don't believe that should have any bearing on the executor. I'm not really sure. Um, I first want to know, how do I change the executor of my will in California? You can do it by what's called a codicil, a codicil to the will. It's like an amendment to a trust. A codicil to a will has the same effect, and it basically... Um, is signed with the same formalities as the will, typically with two witnesses witnessing you sign your signature. And the codicil would say, I hereby change section two or whatever it is of my will to read as follows. Uh, my son, John, will be the uh, executor of my will. And my son, uh, James, will be the first alternate executor for my will dated and signed in front of witnesses. The witnesses signed just like it was a will. Uh, sometimes it's it's easier if there's a lot of changes someone wants to make to a will. Sometimes it's easier to just redo the will, incorporate all the changes, and then have the have the um, the new will witness signed and witnessed in the normal way. Okay, from Santa Ana, California. My brother lived in Mexico for the last seven years of his life and had a checking and savings account in California. His niece was the beneficiary named on the checking account, but not on the savings account. After our brother died, all of us sisters tried to get the money from his savings to fix up a house in Mexico, all siblings owned, uh, presumably... The siblings would be the intestate heirs of the brother. Sounds like the brother had no children. Sounds like maybe also the parents were deceased. And if there were, if all of his siblings were living, they would be the ones to inherit from him under California law. But it says, we found out our niece took the money from the savings and didn't tell anybody. Can she legally take that money? Is there anything we we siblings can do to get that money back? There was no living trust, no will. So the brother died intestate. My question would be to the bank, what authority did you have to give our niece this savings account? If she was not named as the beneficiary on the savings account, 
they would not have handed it over to her. If, however, she went in with an affidavit of small estate value and lied on that document saying that she was the heir under the law of the brother and uh, was entitled to the money in the savings account and it was less than, uh, well, depending on when he died, maybe less than $162,000 and change or $187,000 and change. She might have lied to the bank with an affidavit, a sworn statement, saying she was the one entitled to receive it, ignoring the fact that she had um, that she had um, a number of aunts and presumably also her her mother in there as well, uh, who would be the ones entitled to the account. Um, if the bank turned over the money without authority to do so, I'd go after the bank and say you took this. $100,000 and you handed it over to someone who was not the beneficiary. That's assuming the niece was in fact not the beneficiary on the savings account. If the bank made a mistake and kind of looked at their records and assumed that the niece was also the beneficiary on the savings account because she was the beneficiary on the checking account, that's a bank error and the bank should be made to cough up the money to the person's siblings because that means they gave away money to someone who was not entitled to receive it. So there's a lot of possible answers here. Either the niece lied to the bank in writing a sworn statement, which is perjury, and that could actually get the niece in serious legal trouble for criminal activity, or the bank just screwed up and they gave the money to the niece because they didn't read their own records carefully. Or maybe the uncle did, in fact, sign a blanket beneficiary designation for all of his accounts at the bank. And that's why the money went to the niece from the savings account. No real way to tell with the information in front of me, but it's likely one of those three uh, is the answer. And only in two of those three, um, they, um, if the niece lied, then they have to try and go after the niece to get the money back. They might be able to go to the district attorney and show that the niece lied to the bank and took the money. That's basically a form of theft. Or if the bank just gave the money to the niece and she was not the beneficiary, then you go after the bank. And I think the bank would look very quickly and say, we screwed up. We better give money to these people before they um, before they sue us and rack up a bunch of attorney's fees and costs going after us to get this money that we gave to the niece and she wasn't entitled to it. Those are some of the possibilities right there. Out of Oakland, California, <clears throat> someone says, I'm 69 years old. My mother passed away two years ago, leaving a living trust with my sisters and I as successors. I assume what they what she means by that is that um, they're to receive the property equally, whatever mom had equally. Now it says she'd like to remove me from the trust. What are my rights? What should I do? Well, there's no real way that you can be removed from the trust if you're a beneficiary. 
And if it's been two years and there's property that hasn't been distributed, I would say, why hasn't it been distributed? It's been two years. <coughs> Excuse me. That should have already happened. This person needs to consult with legal counsel right away to find out just what is the sister trying to do? Is she trying to sell a house um, as the successor trustee uh, and then keep all the money herself? I mean, there's a lot of stuff like this that goes on. It's sad, but it's a it's a fact that there are lots of families where stuff like this goes on and there's fighting and people actually steal from each other. And uh, it's not uncommon, unfortunately. Um, one of the things I've found as an estate planning attorney is the despicable things that family members can do to each other um, often come out in the in the estate planning context when inheritance is involved, when there's property involved, when there's money involved, when there's things involved. That's when often the true character of family members come out. And sometimes the true character has been known all along and no one's surprised at what's going on. Instead, they they kind of say, you know, well, what do you expect? And then they turn around and they actually have to uh, maybe go to court to get it resolved in court. That's It's really a shame, but that's sometimes the only thing that uh, that can happen. Okay, now here out of Los Angeles, California, this is not so much an estate planning question, but I'll still I'll take a stab at it. It says, my husband of six years won't disclose how much money he has or share share with me. I recently found out he took out a life insurance policy and named his aunt and his mother as the beneficiaries and left me off completely. Well, from a family law perspective, if he took money that he had earned in the marriage that was not his separate property because they had an agreement in writing to that effect. And he takes out an insurance policy and starts paying the premiums out of marital income. Then the wife is entitled to half of the value of that property when the husband dies because it's community property. He cannot give away her property to someone else without her express written consent so she better be prepared if he dies be prepared to immediately put a claim or file a claim with the insurance company for half of the insurance as the surviving spouse as community property she may have to go to court to establish that she has the right to half of the proceeds she may need to bring the insurance company in and the aunt and the mother into court so they all have a right to say what they have to say. But this is basically a lawsuit being set up by the husband to happen at his death. It happens all the time. Uh, so coming up on the third break of our show today, when we come back, I'll wrap it up with the final segment of Plan Your Estate Radio here on 1220 AM KDOW. This is attorney Bob Bergman. And I'll see you on the final segment in a few minutes. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back to the final segment of the show today. 
let me jump right back in here with some more questions and comments. Let me uh, move my notes around a bit here. Oh, here we go. Okay. So out of uh, Mountain View, California, we're back to Mountain View today. If a trust has more than two equal power co-trustees, do all trust-related decisions require the agreement of all co-trustees? says the trust doesn't specify how decisions are made nor any co-trustee's special power or responsibility. Well, if the trust doesn't say, for example, a majority of the trustees can decide something, or any one trustee can decide something with other trustees having veto power, then that pretty much the default is everybody who's a trustee has to agree on everything. Now, that may be intentional on the part of the person who created the trust because they want to make sure that there's nobody that can take advantage of, uh, of anyone else uh, because they were put in charge and they're hiding things from everyone else. But I point out to my clients that, number one, say you have three children and you decide you want all three of them to be co-trustees then what that means as a practical matter is any one of those children can prevent action being taken. Uh, even if two of the three want to do X, the other one can say, I don't agree with X, I want to do Y. And that means nothing happens at all because it requires all three of them. It re requires unanimous consent. So, I suggest to people that um, they really are better served by having, um, if you're going to use children, having serve in order of preference. Uh, another thing is if your children don't get along now, don't name them all <laughs> as co-trustees, uh, figuring, well, if I do that, then they'll have to work together. You know what? No, they don't. And they probably won't, and it'll probably create even more problems after you're gone because now you're trying to force them to make nice with each other when maybe they hate each other's guts right now. If you have that kind of situation, even though it's going to cost the family some money, you might be better served going around and interviewing some private individual fiduciaries or some banks or trust companies to determine a professional trustee that could take over after you're gone because a professional trustee has no dog in the fight, no skin in the game. Pick your favorite metaphor. They are not going to care that your kids don't get along with each other because they do not have a personal relationship with your kids. They don't care that Johnny has always blamed his little brother Jimmy because when they were five Five and three years old, uh, the Jimmy, the three-year-old at the time, took Johnny's favorite truck and threw it in the storm drain and lost it forever. They're not going to care about stuff like that. People, adults even can hold grudges for an entire lifetime over things that happened when they were kids. Uh, you may be one of those people. You may have someone in your family that's one of those people. You may know someone that has told you about a friend or family member that's one of those people 
We know people like that exist. It's unfortunate, but it's one of the realities of life. Now, I would suggest in a situation like this, you might want to have different provisions in a trust that say if there's multiple trustees, any one of them has the authority to act. In fact, you will find that if you try to open a bank account that has two or more trustees, they will not permit the account to all to be required that all trustees have to sign checks and things like that. They just won't open the account for you because they have no way anymore of checking on that. In the old days, back when you wrote checks and they were uh, signed uh, and the checks actually came into the branch of the bank and they physically reviewed the checks and the signatures, matching them against signature cards at the bank branch to determine whether to accept them uh, and honor those checks and pay out on the check. That doesn't happen anymore. Banks do everything electronically. They scan batches of checks. Uh, I've had checks go through that I forgot to sign. They were still processed through and paid. Um, that's just the way banks work now. So really having any one of them have the authority to sign is that's pretty much what a bank's going to require. So you really need to seriously consider who should be trustees of your trust. And if you're going to have more than one trustee, how is that going to work in actual practice? Okay, we have a, about a minute to go in the show today. It's good to be back. I'm glad that you are with me today. If you just joined me, you'll be able to come back next Friday at 2 for more Plan Your State Radio. Going forward, I am planning some workshops in the future, uh, perhaps uh, later in September, perhaps in early part of August, and I'll let everybody know when that happens. I uh, enjoyed being with you today. It's good being back behind the microphone after taking a very fulfilling but very exhausting trip to Disney World. So this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and I hope you had a great time with me today and you have a great, productive, and possibly restful weekend. Until next Friday, goodbye, Bay Area. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.